Welcome to Vacation Station, hosted by Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazines.com. Hey, everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio's brand new third Friday travel writers panel discussion with the International Food, Wine, Travel Writers Association. And uh, we do this, I was saying, every third Friday, but we also do every second Tuesday. We chat with destinations, all members of the International Food, Wine, Travel Writers Association, which we say IFTWA, makes it very easy. Um, and also every second Friday, we chat with writers about main destinations. But we love these new panel discussions uh, because we've done a few of them, but now we have it on a consistent basis every third uh, Friday, um, because it's really cool to find out where they've been, get some travel tips, and also get an inside look of what it's like to be a travel writer. So today we're going to focus on Europe and global destinations, as well as the world of travel writing. And if you're a travel writer, a photographer, an author, or a destination, or in the wine industry or the food industry, I encourage you to go to the International Food Wine Travel Writers Association website, which is ifwtwa.org, so iftwa.org. Okay, so let's bring our first guest on the show who's been here before, Norm Bauer. Uh, Norm has been on our show talking about, he was on our show kind of in the middle of a pandemic, talking about his adventures during the pandemic, and then he's been on again. Uh, and he's been on, well, first being when you were in Mexico, I think, Norm, I don't know, I can't remember where you were before. I know you went to Turkey. I think that um, was the next time. I think the last time you and I spoke was when we were in Turkey, after I wrote yeah. the book about the, the upside of COVID, called COVID Stories, uh, which included several members of the IFTA organization. But yeah, you and I talked when it was all relatively fresh. We were only on the road for about a year. That's right. That's right. And now you're in Jerusalem, right? We're in Jerusalem. This is country number 27 for us since we left almost exactly four years ago. It's been one hell of a ride, and we aren't planning on stopping anytime soon. Awesome. Awesome. And so you're on the road full time and uh, everyone, you can keep up with uh, Norm's uh, travels and his wife's travels. Go to travelyounger.com. And uh, we're going to bring our next guest on to Sharon uh, K. Kurtz. And you can go to Sharon K. Kurtz and that's Kurtz with a C, uh, excuse me, a K. So it's Sharon K. And then another K. So Kurtz.com. Uh, and she's a travel writer and also a tour guide that she takes women on group tours. So welcome back to the show, Sharon. Thank you, Lisa. Hey, the last time you were on the show, we actually did a travel panel. And look now, we have one all the time. What did you do? Yeah, <laughs> yes. I was at the beginning of the trend. Yes, that's it. You started. No. Uh, yeah, everyone got together. It was great, you know, to kind of look at everyone's uh, stories and also to collaborate. Um, and then I the, think the first time you came on the show, you were talking about your adventures in Egypt during the pandemic. Yes, exactly. And now I'm going back in just one month. Wow, that's amazing. And so today you're home, right? Yes, home in Dallas, Texas. Ah, well, you know, so now we're going to go overseas, you know, because we've been to Jerusalem, we've been to Texas. I'm in South Carolina today in Seneca on a, on a lakefront. It's pretty beautiful. Uh, but we're going to go to New Zealand because uh, we've got Diane joining us. It's her first time on our show, Diane Covington-Carter. She's an award-winning author. Uh, just go to her website, dianecovingtoncarter.com. So welcome to the show, Diane. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Greetings good from the, you. Yeah, greetings from the Southern Hemisphere. I know she didn't say down under, see? <laughs> 
No, <clears throat> New Zealanders, Kiwis don't stay down under, that's Australia. But yeah, it's Saturday morning here and bright and oh. sunny. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. So whereabouts are you in New Zealand? Um, we are at the north end of the South Island. We just sold a property that my husband had had for over 25 years. And so we're looking around to whether we want to buy something else. We're near Nelson, if you've been to Nelson. It's a lovely area, very sunny, lots of beautiful swimming. And it's a little village called Mapua. And we're just really happy. We're just doing Airbnbs right now while we figure out what we're going to do. Okay. Yeah. So, Diane, um, I want to start with you on this. What got you started in travel writing? Because you also, you're an author as well. I am. So I grew up with a father who was in the D-Day invasion, and he always, he was an engineer for the Navy, so he wasn't on the front lines. And he talked about his time in France and the wonderful French, how grateful the French were, and also about a little orphan named Gilbert, who he tried to uh, adopt and bring back. And I was a Francophile and I went to France and I found this man 50 years later. And so I wrote a book oh. about that, Finding Gilbert. And that was really my entry into travel writing because I am a Francophile. I started writing a lot about France and I was visiting Gilbert's family every year. And I still visit them. It'll be 30 years wow. um, on the 80th, which is next year. And now there's four generations that know the story. So it's a very precious story to me. And that really got me on the road to travel writing. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Sharon, for you, what got you started? Was it the tours first or was it the writing? It was the tours first. I, I oh. had a life in Dallas. I have two kids and three dogs and a husband. And, you know, life is very busy. But when they flew the coop and I, I got to reassess, I realized how much I loved travel and wanted to get back to it. So I started leading tours for women. And then that led me all over the world and writing Facebook posts that everybody loved. And they said, you really have to be a writer, a write mm -hmm. magazine. So I went to a travel writing workshop about five years ago. And this is where I am today. Just step by step, put, you know, slowly, I found my feet and uh, I'm very happy with my travel writing life. I think that's really interesting that you say about doing posts because you can't write a whole book when you do a, a social media post and you need to get to the point but also spark curiosity for people to go off on their own so I yeah. think that's actually a really good first lesson for writing it was it, it's good training because you you have to be to the point like you said you have to make make it exciting and those short little snippets kind of work their way into a slightly longer form Ah, very interesting. Yeah. So Norma, tell everybody how you got started, because you're also an author of books as well. My story goes back years, not decades. I'm kind of like fairly new to the international travel game. And what really brought it along was the fact that uh, none of us is getting any younger. And in 2016, I was invited to speak in three different cities in Europe, Warsaw, Prague, and Amsterdam. And for all intents and purposes, it was my first time internationally, except for one very, very brief trip back in 1996, when my ex-wife and I chaperoned my stepdaughter's high school class. And when I saw the way people lived in Europe, I went, wow, they live life to enjoy it, not just to work. And I came back. I had been out of a divorce after 27 years for just a handful of years. And I said, you know, I need to spend more time in Europe and see what that's like. And so I decided that I was going to start dipping my toe into the river 
and I met my now wife. Uh, and so I had a trip planned to Spain and to France at the beginning of 2018. And I invited her to go with me. And so we came over and realized that the quality of life was different. The cost of living was much different than California where we were living. And oh, so yeah. <laughs> we actually came back about seven months later on a six week journey through Spain and Portugal, all the while asking ourselves, could we do this? Could we actually leave everything we had behind? We had no children. We had no real estate to sell that had all been gone. And we decided that, yeah. So we went back home to Orange County, California, and we sold everything. And about four months later, we hit the road on February 17th, 2019. And the plan was to stay for about six weeks in different locations. And that, that generated two books called Traveling the World Six Weeks at a Time. And we, we spent our 90 days in the EU and then went to Croatia, which is now EU. And we've been pretty much moving ever since, except for a 15-month stall in Mexico. And we uh, I'm 68, she's 70. And we try to travel like millennials because they're the ones who inspired me. And I'm a motorcycle rider. And she loves being on a motorcycle. So we rent motorcycles when we can and spent almost three months on a bike last um, August and September through Turkey and Greece. And this is the life we lead. And at the end of the year, we're going to be heading over to the Far East to check out that part of the world. Not looking for a second home per se, but looking for places to hang for maybe a lot longer than maybe 90 days because we realize we can't do this forever. You know, it's interesting. So this airs on February 17th on your anniversary date. Wow. See, very four familiar. years uh, on nice. this date, right? Yeah, I know nice. we're recording this a week beforehand, which is which is great. But, um, you know, starting the world travels, uh, Diane, obviously you're going between America, you've got New Zealand, you've got a little bit of Australia background too. So tell us a little bit about your global travels. What caught that real start in like real travel, not just the writing, but obviously France, right? Yeah. But you've been to other countries too. Oh yeah, yeah. What what if we were going to talk about spring today? I was going to talk about Switzerland yeah. because I was there last April, and it's kind of like Heidi and the Sound of Music. You know, just uh -huh. beautiful. Um, we went to one. A park that had, I think it was 140,000 tulips. That's what it was. It was called a tulip festival in a little town called Morges, which is near Lausanne. And then we went to all these castles and gardens, and it was just, ah, uh, you know. And I agree with Norm. Uh, I lived in France for eight months in 2000. I called it my junior year abroad, 30 years late, and I wrote a book about it. And I loved living there because, yeah, Europeans, they, the L'Art de Vivre, they call it um, in France, they have the art of living. They, yeah, mm -hmm. they don't live to work. They just live, you know, and they enjoy. And Sundays, everything closes down, <coughs> except in the morning, the bakeries are all open so that everybody can make their grand, you know, uh, meal together. And then they walk around with their big baby carriages and you know, it's just, I loved it. I, I wouldn't have come back, but I had my first grandchild back at home that I'd met, you know, briefly. And then she came and stayed with me for 10 days when my daughter and son-in-law went off to Italy for a second honeymoon. So I had her there for 10 days. So I was like, oh, you know, I don't want to live a continent away. But uh, my heart really is in France. Uh, ah. And I, I do speak French. I've kept it up all these years starting in high school. And of course, with my French family over there now, Gilbert's yeah. family. Yeah. So I just, I love to travel. Yeah. In France, I mean, would you say, because I know we're still in February, right? Uh, yeah. The romantic month. Would you say that it is a romantic city? 
Oh yeah. You know, one of the things, one of the things I learned living there is the French are not Puritans. You know, in America, we have a lot of Puritanical stuff and they do not, you know, like they're just like the men and women, they're like kissing each other. And if, if, they're, if, if you go into a store in France, the men go in the dressing room with their girlfriends, you know? I mean, stuff like that just wouldn't happen in America. And of course you can take your top off at the beach if you want, and nobody even looks, you know? It's like no big deal. So um, they're just relaxed. You, yeah. you know, Nancy and I travel full-time across the country documenting parks and public lands. and. We went to our first uh, nudie beach in a national park the other day. Oh, fun. <laughs> Who knew? Okay, and Canaveral National Seashore has two nudie beaches. And I'm like, go park system. So you could be, you know, sunbathing, <laughs> as we'd like to say, naked and watch, you know, spaceships go off and rockets go <laughs> off. I mean, why not? <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it, so we're getting a little bit better, Diane, I think. Just a little bit, you know. Can I piggyback on something that Diane said? Is it going to be about nudie beaches? No, <laughs> unless you want me to. That was, a, that was about freedom. It's about freedom because everywhere we go, people say, oh, I want to go to the United States because you're so free there. And I say, no, not true. We're a lot more free in many places outside the United States because we don't have as many rules, regulations, people looking over our shoulder. And like what Diane just said, where people can kind of kiss each other and feel comfortable. They aren't so self-conscious about appearing different than what they really are and keeping up with the Joneses and all that. So that's one of the beautiful things that we find in living in different parts of the world is that you truly can be yourself. You don't have to worry about putting on pretense and airs. Yeah, what do you think, Sharon? Because I know, how many countries have you been to now? Uh, 45. Oh, and do you know a big part of them since I was 50 years old? Nice. Wow, that's I traveled, you know, a little bit. And when I had kids, uh, we went on family vacations. But once I had the opportunity, I was just gone. I wanted that's all I want to do is travel. Mm. And and what about this sense of freedom? Have you experienced that? Because you've also gone to some countries that I think women may not have as much freedom, you know, and we've had that experience in Africa and in different places where you are yourself. There's a there's a there's a different freedom, sense of freedom there. Um, but I mean, we've been to places where women were not allowed in, only men. So it's, I know it's changing, but have you experienced, you know, freedom is a different, it's multifaceted. Very it so. is. You know, there's different customs all over the world. And I find I just have to respect the customs of the country I'm in. I, mm. I dress conservatively if that is the norm. I, uh, I follow... Uh, the customs of the country and and I I've just got back from Jordan and that is mm. a little less conservative than other uh, Middle Eastern countries so we oh, could wow. wear Western dress but I've been in Egypt and the UAE where you have to cover your head but I have never been to Saudi Arabia that's one country that I don't know that I want to visit there those that's awfully um constricting to women and I haven't yeah. done that yet. Mm. Yeah, I just want to say something about freedom. Um, what I learned, I really encourage people to learn a second language and French has been my project since high school because um, what I found living there is that no one knew my history. You know, I, I had no history in French except for pleasure and, you know, wonderful visits. 
and you know, in America, I had a whole history. So I felt very free. There was one party I went to and I thought, nobody knows me here. I could get up and dance any way I want, you know, because they're not going to say, oh, that's Diane. Why is she doing that? They didn't know me, you know, so that was that was really something. And also, mm -hmm. I noticed in France that it was very safe. I lived in Aix-en-Provence. I could walk around at night and be completely safe by myself because everybody's out on the street. There was never a question of feeling mm -hmm. unsafe. Now, in Paris, you know, you have to be careful and you can't look like a tourist or you could be, you know, somebody could try and take your purse. But, um, but you know, that was really freeing to be safe as a woman to walk around alone. That's so. nice. That is yeah. nice. And there's certain areas, you know, I mean, even this country, you know, some areas you can be, some areas not. Um, you just have to be aware of your situation. Yeah. I think no matter what, you always have to have your eyes and ears open as best you can, no yes. matter what. Because as, as women, we do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, let's let's talk a little bit about des global destinations, especially spring. I know, Diane, we were going to talk a bit about spring, but I know each each of you have destinations you wanted to talk about and share. I want to start with you because, you know, there's one thing about people going and traveling the world first time. And um, I, I think especially after the pandemic, a lot of people sat home and realized, you know, I've been tied up doing all this stuff that really means nothing compared to really living life and going out there and doing. And I think Sharon and Norm, all of you, your stories are, you know, um, inspiring to go out and, and get her done. Go do it. Um, so Sharon, you wanted to talk about the Viking River Cruises, which yes, isn't that a good start for people that traveling? It is a great starter uh, to a European destination because uh, you you're on this. I took the Rhine River Cruise. We started mm -hmm. in Basel, Switzerland, went to Amsterdam, and had eight stops along the way. And it's a beautiful ship. Very intimate though, only about 150 guests and 60 crew. And you have everything is for a traveler that is a little apprehensive. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to buy, you know, tickets. You, you go on the ship and everything is included. Wonderful uh, dining opportunities, a uh, included, um, off the ship experience every day. And it was marvelous. So I would say that is a great way to explore Europe for the first time. And not it's not one of those huge ships. It's kind of this more intimate style, right? No, it's only two floors tall, very long, but only two stories tall. There's no elevators. There's lounges to get away and a library to read books. There's no big entertainment. That's not the point. The point of a river cruise is to just relax and get to know your fellow travelers over dinner. Um, so it's a really wonderful experience. Very For people mm. who say they don't like cruises, you've never been on a river cruise. Yeah, mm, that's interesting. Norm, uh, I know you wanted to talk about Greece and then Albania. Um, Albania, that's something that how many people go to Albania, you know, 12, 12 people, 12, <laughs> 12, 12. Well, yeah. what's, what's, what's interesting is that Albania is so under the radar. It's so under the yeah. radar, Lisa, and people don't even know where it is in many cases, and they don't realize that there's benefits there. First off, it's the former, it's the former Soviet Union. It's just north of Greece, just south of Montenegro. And uh, what's nice about it is it's not 
part of the European Union, and it's also not part of the Schengen Agreement. So for people who travel for, I'm going to say, long periods of time, which is traditionally 90 days or more, it offers a great way to reset your clock because Albania does something that only a very few number of countries in the world do, and that they allow you a 12-month visa. So the scenario is for people who are traveling in Europe, which a lot of people, when they fantasize, when they visualize that, you know, I want to be this vagabond and go out there and see the rest of the world. There is so much of the world in Europe, I can only speak to the European continent, there's 27 countries that are all under the collective Schengen Agreement. And so the problem is, is if you spend 89 days in any one of them, you can only spend one day in any of the others. And so now you are forced, literally forced, because now with passport control being as computerized as it is, they are monitoring you and there's some very stringent benefits if you go overboard. So what's beautiful about Albania is that you can go and you can stay there for 365 days, leave for 90 days, and you can just go across the river or go across the ocean and be in Italy or just go south and you can be in Greece. And after 90 days, you come back and you get another 365 days. That's a huge benefit. The second benefit, out of the 27 countries we've lived, Albania is pretty much the most affordable place that we've lived. We've lived in Croatia, we've lived in Cambodia, we've lived in Thailand, and they're all relatively affordable. But the prices in Albania, and even Turkey, by the way, because we got residency there and we were there for eight months, uh, Turkey was also very, very affordable. But Albania is even less expensive. And I'll just give you an example. We're going to be going back to Albania at the beginning of March and we're going to be there for 90 days. We were originally going to stay for a little bit longer, but because we're going to be renting a motorcycle and going back to the EU, mm -hmm. we had to stay longer in Albania. Otherwise, we were going to potentially need to be in the EU for longer than 90 days. So we're running a two-bedroom, very modern, very contemporary apartment with a full-on full on ocean view, looking at the island of Corfu, two-bedroom, all the accoutrements for 500 US dollars a month. Wow, and and Southern California, where I used to live, something like that would be ten thousand dollars a month. Uh, it's yeah, to rent exactly. On an annual basis, and you can go out to eat um, for a very reasonable amount of money here in Israel. We got a sticker shock when we saw the prices of food here. Rooms are a little pricey too, but it's food prices that have really been surprising. So we've kind of cut back on some of our goodies and everything. But Albania is a country that I would very highly recommend that anyone visit. They're very American friendly. We are on the south part, which is literally just north of the Greece border in a town called Sarande. And it's a part of what they call the Balkan Riviera. And it's mm. got beautiful beaches and it's got beautiful mountains and it's got really nice people and also a fairly striving expat community, which whenever we go places, we try to connect with the Facebook groups, the expat communities, and they have been extraordinarily helpful about answering questions, helping you know, helping us get acclimated. There's a hiking group, which I participated in before I left for Israel here, and I will again. And so um, I have very, very high marks on Albania. And prior to getting to Albania, we spent 90 days in Greece, touring Northern Greece with one of our fellow associates within IFWA. Uh, her name is Sofia Borgnazzi. And she actually connected me with 15 different regional tourism agencies in the Northern part of Greece. And my wife and I got to visit 15 different uh, different cities and different regions over a 31 day period on our motorcycle and walked in the footsteps of Alexander the Great and, and Peter the Apostle and, and Aristotle. And it was just 
absolutely breathtaking. And so I've become a huge proponent of making sure that people know that Greece is more than Athens and more than Santorini, even though it's beautiful reproduction of Santorini behind you that is now in South Carolina, I'm sure, right, Lisa? Yes, it is. <laughs> I was waterfront. Hey, we were oh, talking course. about Europe, so I thought, hey, why not? I, listen, I want some sunshine. You know, I know I've got I a little you. bit of a cold here, so I apologize for coughing and sniveling here a bit, but yeah. I want that sunshine. And uh, I think one thing, too, you know, you were talking about Switzerland, Diane. Um, so that you've got flower power, but you you stayed at like a, a beautiful, beautiful hotel, too. Very historic. Yeah. If people go to my website, I wrote a, an article that's in a publication called Wine, Dine, and Travel. And I, I said, um, give yourself, you know, indulge your inner royal. And it was a six-day itinerary where you stay at the Beau Rivage Palace Hotel, which is a five-star hotel. And of course, it has a spa and an amazing uh, Michelin two-star restaurant. And then you take day trips on the train. You can do this all without a car the train from Geneva, and then you take the train to Morges and do castles and gardens and the train to Neon and do castles and gardens and you take the ferry to Montreux. And then on the way back, you stop, you stop through this Laveau vineyards and wine taste. So there's just a whole lot to do there. And again, as Americans, what we don't realize because we're stuck in our cars is then in Europe, the trains are amazing. You know, really? I mean, we yeah. went from Paris to Amsterdam in three and a half hours, and you can get from Paris to Marseille in three hours. And that's like a distance of uh, San Francisco to San Diego, you know. And so so if you do go, I recommend people try to use the trains, mm. you know, and especially in Switzerland, they're on time. There was one time that it was like two minutes late and on, on the little billboard, they said, it's coming in from Italy late, you know, like the Swiss were, did not want to be blamed for the train being late, which I thought was hysterical. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, you can stay in a castle. I mean, who gets to stay in a castle, right? And, um, and I'm going to Ireland in uh, April, another beautiful spring, uh, you know, place. And I'm going to a travel writers conference and we're staying again in the Ashford Lodge, which is part of Ashford Castle near Galway. So that's going to be another amazing experience. And I'm really mm. looking forward to that. You yeah. know, those historic places um, really, you know, it. I think you we don't understand history as much until you start going to these historic sites. Yeah. And when I you just, can stay in say, them. Yeah. And like when I lived in France and I went to get a phone, um, they said uh, age of building 300. And I laughed out loud because in California, you know, nothing was there as American until 1850. And so, yeah, just the kind of history they have there is, yeah, I love that. I, mm. It's like time traveling. When I get off the plane and I'm in those beautiful old historic places, I think I am, I've just time traveled. I love that. What That's about you, Sharon? Yeah, what's that? Sharon, for you, traveling on the Viking cruises. And then the last time talking about Egypt, I mean, does history play a role in your travels for you? Oh, yes. I, I am a history buff. So before I go on a trip, I always read up on the history. So I, I kind of can, it adds to my experience. And being a travel writer adds to the experience because when you're just a, a tourist, that's fun, but you don't study and research and you don't have a reason to go talk to strangers and mm -hmm. learn the backstory. So that just adds to the whole experience. And, yeah. and on the Viking cruise, I loved 
uh, the little um, French uh, towns and German towns. And um, so that's my favorite way to travel. I think there is something about what you're saying about as a travel writer, I want in the back of the restaurant. I don't always want in the front and the fancy food. Yeah. I want to go in the back. I want to see, I want to feel the heat that the chef is feeling, you know? Yeah. I, I want to know what's going on. I want to see like, oh, where's your produce coming from? Like, really, you can say farm to table, but, you know, I've been in restaurants where the farmers are bringing in produce mm -hmm. and I'm like, that to me is the coolest, you know? So, yeah. So Norma, I know you were going to say something on the history part too. I was. And uh, like Sharon, I'm a history buff myself and I didn't used to be until I started experiencing it firsthand. And the second location we lived in was Tivoli, Italy, which is about uh, 20 miles east of Rome. And the town that we were in was uh, 700 years older than Rome. And this building that we were in, an Airbnb, was 500 years old. And I was just incredulous. Like 500 years ago in the United States, we were <laughs> we were all wilderness. Christopher Columbus had just sailed over. And oh, don't say it, his name. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Very sensitive subject. But to be able to look at history in such a broad, broad perspective, and again, going to Egypt, uh, well, if this will be the third, you know, major, major civilization here because been through Italy, been through Greece, and now going to the Egyptians. And so, you know, we're talking going back 3,000, 4,000 years, and the way people live back there, how they were able to do what they did and build the things that they built, it's like, it just... Yeah. boggles my mind just boggles my mind even here in jerusalem to see the, you know the mm -hmm. uh, uh the 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 place where where jesus christ was was uh, was was crucified it's like that is just it just it just boggles me mm. yeah i want to go to you diana on france have you been to the catacombs i have not because that's not something i i would get, get creeped out by that i know so. right it's a it, we, we were gonna put the catacombs uh travel writer debbie stone is also part of uh iftwa did a story on the catacombs and we almost put it on the cover of our way back when history magazine and uh we just kind of felt like oh that's kind of weird because like people may you know my that's part of my family's in there but kind of interesting when you travel through these historic sites of how burials have happened you know i'm not trying yeah. to be you know dark and dismal but there's some i think <coughs> we understand uh, mortality a little bit better when we travel and we go to these yeah. historic places i mean think of pompeii i mean that's exactly. something yeah go ahead yeah i'll just say briefly um Exxon provence where i lived in france was founded by the romans because of the source because of the springs there's fountains everywhere there's over 50 fountains and a wonderful spa there that uses the you know the fresh source water and then when i was in uh near geneva lausanne the little town of neon has roman ruins that uh, one of my photos that i submitted for this is of the ruins and it's in my article um on my website and you know so yeah so that town goes way back to the romans <clears throat> and you just look at the ruins and you can see the old walls i mean it's like ha. Oh, you know yeah the romans really they they wanted luxury i mean it's oh, really yeah. interesting uh hearing about in like in england the roman roads and you know they're they, you can't i mean they're they're when you go on the roman roads they're they're arched in a way in the center even yeah. and some of the old you know uh there's like petter's way and there's all of, you can walk the ancient roman roads you can go on a hiking tour and that's 
something have any of you done that where you go on like a little bit of a walking tour or a hiking tour you were talking about a hiking group norm have you done that where you've gone like on a on a more than a day long kind of hiking excursion no not at this point in my life i don't think that we really have the desire or the stamina to be able to do he that he doesn't want to go camping no 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 I've, I've been there done that and now i sleep on a cow on a mattress but i do want to address roman roads because what's interesting is that there's actually been a lot of a lot of uh uh, feeds lately talking about the stability and the longevity of the Roman roads. Mm -hmm. Now, 2,000 years later, they are in so much better condition than the roads that they make today that have potholes within a couple of weeks or a couple of months. What do you mean just potholes? Sinkholes. Sinkholes, yeah. too. I mean, when we were going, mm -hmm. when we when we entered Greece, we entered through Turkey. And one of the things that Sophia, our associate there, wanted us to do was to ride along what they called the Via Engada, which was the first super highway. And it extended all the way from Istanbul all the way over to uh, Albania. And uh, it was the original road that the Romans built. And for the most part, Highway 1, A1 over there in Greece, kind of follows that same road. So when we were traversing that road, it's like, wow, we are basically following in the footsteps of the Roman legion from 2,000 years ago. And a lot of the times you could see the roads still you know, below you. It's just mind-boggling. I want to go to Sharon here because we're talking about Roman roads, but then let's go to Egypt. You know, you were on before talking about you had this personal tour during the pandemic and you yes. got to see you had your date with King Tut. You had, you know, this amazing experience, very personalized because no one was out, you know, um, but, you know, going out in these areas. I mean, even like place like Jordan, you're on a camel. How do these kids, I mean, that that's not a royal road, but it's a pathway and they all know where they're going. But when you get on a camel, do you, I mean, how do you know in these desert, like, well, you we know were what I mean? In, that's different. We stayed in <laughs> in Jordan in a bubble tent so we could see the, the, the stars at night. And we got up at five in the morning and there was a Bedouin dressed in full Bedouin clothing with a string of camels for four travel riders. And we just took off into the desert. There are no roads. Wow. He knows where he's going, but we went into the desert until the sun started to come up, got off of our camels and the Bedouins built a fire for us out of little sticks they found and brewed tea. And we had tea and biscuits at sunrise. So that's wow. crazy. Like, isn't that something you pinch yourself about? Yes. And then you talk about Roman roads. We went to Jerash in Jordan. Mm -hmm. That is a, with the most preserved Roman ruins, I think, in the world, one of them. And the streets that the Romans built still had manhole cupboards and sewers under the streets that they got the water to go through. Uh, and it was just amazing to see the, the ingenuity that they did that those roads are still viable today. Mm -hmm. You know what? I fell through a manhole in mm. Mexico. That's, yep. that's <laughs> no, no, I, I did. We were, we were um, in El Cadones and I was recording everybody coming up with their commercials. You know, that happens in Mexico, all the bartering and come on, come get tequila here. Come do this, come do that. And I was recording it for a podcast or something. And while I was doing that, I stood on a manhole that wasn't completely closed, the manhole oh. cover, and I almost went down completely into the sewer. Oh, and uh, and I luckily, my recorder went flying and everything went flying, got myself on <clears throat> like my my elbows had me hanging there. 
it is not easy. And I'm a tall person. I'm not exactly the most petite, tiny little girl. And all these people came and lifted me up, shirt included, by the way, like everybody saw everything. <laughs> I'm like, hello, Mexico, you know, and um, got me out and I was just scraped up. But that's what Nancy stood. And she was like, oh, my God, you almost ended up in the sewers in oh. Mexico. And um, after that, I, I did go and have a margarita. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and two. I would have yeah. had two. I, I, of course I did. Uh, but, you know, but they came and, and we went into, I think we were some, one of the dental offices or whatever, came, helped clean me up. And everybody, I mean, there's something about, you know, countries that welcome visitors in and want you to have a good time. And then the, this guy came and covered the cart with his little, um, his, the, the manhole with his cart and made sure nobody else would do it. Like they came and fixed it. And, you know, other people are going, oh, you should sue someone. The American friends, you need to sue somebody. I'm like, yeah. dude, I wasn't no. looking where I was walking. I was too yeah. busy playing. Let me record what people are saying and doing, which is part of my job. But I did not look where I put my foot. It's me that went down the manhole and that's that. But people wanted to sue me to sue people. I'm like, no, but, and it could have, I mean, I don't know what would have happened if I really went down. I could have ended up in a black hole, but you know, so, but that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I have something to say on that topic, which I learned having visited France. I figure I've been to Paris 35 times oh, wow. and there's something in France called the Good Samaritan where they, uh, they really take care of people if they see that you're in trouble. And, you know, I know a lot of people think that Parisians are rude, but what I've learned living in France in French is that they have a much more, they're more polite. Like if you get mm -hmm. next to somebody in the supermarket, you have to say, oh, pardon, you know? And I remember a little four-year-old ran in front of me in X and he goes, oh, pardon. And I thought, oh my God, that's adorable. And, um, and Americans will go into some store in France and you always have to say, bonjour, madame you know, and really make eye contact, but we're not used to that. So you go in and you just start yelling, you know, talking to each other in English and you don't acknowledge the store owner and they think you're rude. So maybe they are rude, but you're the, you're rude first. So yeah, the, the, the ugly um, yeah. American tourist. And then the other thing is, I, yeah, I've had people rescue me more than, you know, many times when I'm on the wrong train or the wrong Metro, you know, cause the Metro is confusing. <laughs> Um, and they're just so kind. Mm -hmm. They're so kind. I mean, they really try and help you if they think you're in trouble. So we yeah, found that everywhere. The, yeah, and the Good Samaritan, they have that in Mexico too. And we used to live south of Ensenada. And you go down a toll road and it's one of the most, it's like part of, it's like if you went south of 101 from San Diego. And um, it's the most beautiful drive. But if something happens, you're covered, you pay, you know, they come, the green angels or the Samaritans come and help you. I mean, I did get rear-ended in a toll booth and no one helped me. I got rear-ended in Mexico more times than I ever <laughs> want to know about. And it's just like, and then you try to do something and they bail and they're like, I'm like, oh, okay. And they're going to go, here's your 10 pesos. I'm like, all right, whatever. That's just the way it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of like, we've got to kind of, you can't take your country into another country and make anybody exactly. change. And I think that's the beauty of travel. So on that, let's talk about some travel tips, especially for first time travelers. Um, so Norm, let's start with you. A tip for someone, first time traveling, what, would, what tip would you give to somebody? Oh, I think probably one of the biggest things that people do that they don't need to is they overpack. 
we're that's we're what we're I was going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 minimalists, and so when we left on our journey, we basically sold everything in both of our respective houses, and we had two 28-inch suitcases ready to go. But even the night before, we were weighing them, and they thought we saw still thought that they were overweight. So we ended up jettisoning probably 25% of what we had in our suitcases, and our very first leg was in Valencia, Spain. And while we were there, we jettisoned even more and got rid of one of the suitcases. So we do not check in luggage, if at all humanly possible. I have a good size backpack that's only about 40, 42 liter. My wife has about the same. And then we have two smaller backpacks, which we would call personal items. So if we can avoid checking in luggage, especially at the debacle of last summer with luggage just kind of get waylaid everywhere and got stuck in Heathrow Airport and, and airports all over the world. We want to be able to get off the plane, go through passport control and just get to our room and not have to schlep a big suitcase with wheels on it and everything else like that. And yes, it is a little bit more strenuous and not everyone can do it. And it might, might mean you have to wash clothes a little bit more often, but I'm, you know, what ends up happening is that almost invariably, whatever people take with them, they will not wear probably 20% of what they bring with them. So only take what you think you really need to. And that's, that's why right. you see me with the same shirt on on every if twas show. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, I oh, just want to say, yeah, when I moved to <laughs> France uh, for eight months, I took one small rolling suitcase and a backpack because I go. thought, why would you take clothes to France, first of all? You know, mm -hmm. and, and I'm a great believer you've got to pack light, especially if you're going to take trains, because people don't realize you got to heft your bag up. So you got to go up and down stairs in the train station. Some of them have elevators and then you've got to heft your bag up. And, you know, it's like, please pack light, really mm -hmm. one yeah. small rolling bag. And then the yeah. other thing is I love to walk. I love to walk when I get somewhere good walking shoes and just walk and discover where I am. And you just, you know, you, you just have the best experiences that way. And then I like to buy a few clothes on the trip. So I always leave. I did one travel article called uh, Packing Light for a Trip by Train and Leave Room for the Magic. And, you know, so you want to have some room for, because I love to buy souvenirs that are useful, like clothes, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I think when I put on that sweater or that scarf, I think, yeah, I bought that, you know, wherever I bought it. So, yeah, leave room for the magic. I love that. Yeah, for sure. Sharon, what about you? Well, I mean, I just I, want to go, you were talking about being safety, right, as women? And yes. packing light is part of that, right? Yes, you don't want to be encumbered with too much stuff. You need to be able to run and go, at, you know, and handle your bags by yourself. So I'm preaching to the choir here, but I'm a carry-on traveler as well. With a capsule wardrobe, you never wear as much as you bring anyway. But one thing I was going to go back to is when you fell into a manhole, well, my one bit of advice is when you're traveling, don't try to take a photo as you were walking. I fell yes, into exactly. a gopher hole in mm. Tanzania oh. on my, oh my first gosh. day. I was going to get ready to, to photograph these flamingos in a lake and wasn't looking where I was walking and almost broke my ankle. So that would have oh. been bad. So that's my one bit of advice. Don't walk and shoot pictures at the same time. Do one or the other. It's totally true. And because, you know, and, and get, um, get insurance, travel insurance and, yes. and medical insurance internationally too, because that's the other thing. You break your ankle or, you know, you end up down the sewer in Mexico and 
I could have ended up in Tijuana. Who knows? Yes. You know, so you get you go through that and you need so, to be able to handle whatever medical thing in that country. That's a really peace good of mind for myself and my husband at home insist I have an annual um, medical policy as well as evacuation insurance. If anything should Ooh, happen, that, that's uh, smart. You fall in that gopher hole. What if it, you know, went down to who knows where, buried up to my head, and they have to evacuate me out? Uh, they will come mm -hmm. get me. They'll send me home in a plane. They will either bring him over to be my companion, but it's peace of mind having those two pieces of insurance. That's a really good, really good tip. So let's talk about tips for travel writers. I know you talk about the don't photograph and walk and go down the manhole or the gopher hole. I actually know someone who broke both their legs going down a manhole in, uh, I think it was Toronto. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's the, anyway, um, thank goodness for margaritas. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about for travel writers, because you're all doing it. And there is also, you know, there's a thing of, hey, you're doing all this. And then you get somewhere, you get to the point of, oh, I'm going to write this story and half your notes are gone or oh my gosh, how do I reclaim all that? So let's talk about the actual writing experience. Let's start with you, Norm. Any tips for people out there on the, the writing part? Because mm. yeah, it, it's actually, you know, we could do all the, the traveling, but to actually put pen and paper, sometimes it's like, oh, I'm, I've got to, you know, I'm, I've got to block against doing this or that. So any tips for folks? It's a good question. I, I'm a journalist as far as journaling, not as a journalist, as a career. And even when I was younger, I started keeping a journal from the time I was 26 till the time I got rid of them all when we left the United States. So I, I kind of keep track of the day-to-day -day things. So I know that it's already in my mind. Like for instance, I try to post on Facebook on my personal blog, just the day-to-day -day things. And then collectively I group them up and I put them on my travel younger website, which mm -hmm. is kind of the collective. And then I look at, you know, where's the story that I think I want to sell? Like for instance, mm -hmm. Albania being what it is, I just did a story that I called, you know, Albania for a year, Albania for life. And it's basically a story about why Albania should be on your radar if you are looking for a long-term stay. And I'm in the process of writing a story here on Israel called An American Jew in Israel, because as a Jew, going to the homeland, going to the motherland is a is a very, you know, for some, it's a very religious experience. It's a very spiritual experience, a bonding with uh, your heritage and your roots and everything. So I kind of I kind of keep things written down as they happen, because our memories are so infallible, especially if we are doing a lot in a short period of time, then things get jumbled together. So I would say keep pretty copious, pretty detailed notes, and then you can always flush them out later and use just the stuff you want when you actually put, you know, pen to paper. Okay, what about you, Diane? Well, um, I always try to look for what's really special and unique about a place that maybe hasn't been written up. Um, and it's like a photograph, you want to narrow the focus down so that you are catching one particular thread of something. Um, so, and, and I find that magazines want that also. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want Paris. They want, okay, um, unique ba back walkways of Paris or, or the flea markets of Paris, or, you know, they want something like that. And I, I really pay attention to what is exciting for me or kind of moves me because what I've learned, I also teach creative writing is um, 
if it moves you and you write about it, it'll move the reader because there's energy mm -hmm. in that. So mm -hmm. I look for where there's energy. Yeah. And I'm also a journaler, Norm. I, I kept journals while I was in Aix-en-Provence. And then I wrote my whole book, Eight Months in Provence, from those journals because I was right able to recreate everything that happened. Yeah. Right oh, amazing. Amazing. Sharon, what are, what's your tip for well, travel I, writers? I do journal, but I... I've discovered a wonderful um, um, voice recorder that actually transcribes for me. So whenever Ooh. I meet anyone on the street or a fascinating char character, I turn it on, we record, we talk back and forth. And then by the time I make it to my hotel, it is transcribed what he said. So it's kind of like a journal, but it's in my phone. So Ooh. that's what I have. What's it you called? Go, girl. What's it it's called, called, Sharon? Ollie, O L L. E, um, it, it it's I recommend it for everyone to get this. You know that's okay. so funny. Someone was talking about that on a Facebook group I'm part of yesterday, and I was trying to get it right because I was like, "What? Uh, yeah, how was it? How was it spelled? I got I got all kinds of things." Oh, L. I'll maybe put it in your notes, but um, it's uh, there's a free version and then a paid version. And I like the paid version because it will transcribe for you and you don't have to go back and listen to two hours of conversations. You've got it right there in writing. Did you transcribe our show? <laughs> no, I'll turn it on now though. Okay, here we go. I'm transcribing. <laughs> so I'll have us. If I can add to that. So I'm an Android phone user and Google has an app called Recorder. And that's what I do when I do interviews, because uh, I'll do stories for different types of magazines. And so I will go ahead and record it, but it does the same thing. So for anyone who's an Android lover and loves the Google platform and everything else like that, Google Recorder will, will do that as well. And I find it great because I can listen to it and then I can see the words. And that way I'll be able to just grab the whole text copy and just download it and then save it to a, a word file and do all the fix-ups. And, and it keeps that atmosphere too, that vibe of the place and that, you know, I love to hear the sounds of the place yeah. that you're in. It transports you there. It's not just the photos and the writing, but it's those sounds. Um, yeah. Because it's true. Yeah. Like if you're in a place with a lot of trains or a place with lots of birds or something, it, it has that that atmosphere uh, for you. So I think that's a that's a really, really good point. Before you go, um, the International Food, Wine, Travel Writers Association is global. Um, so I want to get a, a just a a sense of what you're enjoying from the association. And I know, Norm, you're working on getting more members that are international like Diane. Diane is all over the place. We can't, we can't, can't hold any of you down, which is good. But yeah. for you, what? yeah, tell us a little bit about what you're doing with, with IFTWA for that. Well, when I was in Greece and I got to be friends with Sophia, you know, we talked about how many international members were part of this international association and come to find out that there was only a little bit more than a dozen. And I said, we really need to do something about that. So uh, Corey and I started a conversation. I said, I would like to help the organization grow internationally because so much of it is all domestic and there's nothing wrong with that. But the whole idea is to be able to help the people who are within the United States find other places in the world that they can go and visit and do uh, do trips to and you know, form a collective relationship and collaboration and so forth and so on. So uh, they made me a, they gave me a title of international liaison, which basically just means that I am trying to go out and engage uh, foreign, foreign writers who want to be part of the association. So if anyone who's listening to this is outside the domestic country, United States, and if you have friends overseas, 
make sure you encourage them to join because they are waiving the $50 initiation fee until March 8. So if our show is going to be airing on February 17th, you've got like three weeks to jump on board, save yourself 50 bucks. And uh, I think that I've kind of started a little bit of momentum towards finding more benefits for the international group um, that go above and beyond what the domestic group already gets right now. Some incentives to all collaborate. Like I'm in, so, so I'm in touch with one of our writers down in Australia, and she was sweet enough to say, when you get down here, uh, I would love to host you here. And so nice. we're going to make sure. And I said, we'll be happy to reciprocate if ever you want to come to Albania. We've got room for you. Awesome. Awesome. And everyone, it's ifwtwa.org for that. Diane, uh, what is one of the benefits for you? I know that there's a lot in New Zealand, a lot of uh, IFTWA members in New Zealand and Australia. Yeah, no, I just joined uh, recently. So I've, I'm a new member. Um, I've been a member Wonderful. of society. Yeah, SATW, Society of American Travel Writers, I am, and another uh, travel writing group. But I think these groups are very helpful and I'm definitely going to follow up with Sharon and Norm because I'm going to Greece and Turkey soon after Ireland. <laughs> and, uh, and also, uh, you know, so the networking really helps in groups because writing mm. is solitary. You know, mm. um, when you sit down at your computer to write, you're by yourself. <laughs> and so having a group of people who are in the same field really helps, you know, and mm. you can collaborate and help each other. Exactly, exactly. Sharon, for you, what's a what's one of the benefits? One of the benefits, one of the most recent for me is IFTWA has media trips for mm. members. And I was just uh, lucky enough to be invited to Jordan um, just two months ago as one of the eight members that were invited to visit Jordan. We saw the whole country. It was an amazing experience. And we're one of the few professional development uh, organizations for writers that offer media trips. And I think it's really amazing to go to Jordan too. Oh, it was incredible. I'll yeah, never that's, forget it. Yeah, that, that's, that is, I know Linda Milks was on our show uh, yeah. in January talking about her experience. And, you know, it was a, it was a um, it's a special thing. It's one of those that I don't know how many people just get on a plane and go to Jordan on their own. And uh, to have these stories, and especially women going to Jordan, is is that something that um, you would think that a lot of women wouldn't think of going? But it's... well, one of the we all wrote a story for uh, Iftwa to be published in the magazine, and my mm. story is about women empowering women because we visited mm. uh, social. They call them um, co-ops where women uh, get training and uh, learn how to. Uh, make a living. And um, it was really a wonderful experience. So one of my stories is about women empowering women and we're coming up on National History Month for women next month. Exactly. And that's international. Uh, March yes. 8th is the big day. Yeah. Yes. Um, and everyone, uh, IFTWA does have a magazine, a food, wine, travel magazine, FWT magazine, which is awesome. So that's another huge benefit. And so again, ifwtwa.org is a website. Let's go around and get everyone's websites and uh, you can give everyone a shout out for your social media. So Sharon, it's Sharon K. Kurtz and that's Kurtz with a K. Yes. And a Z. Yes. Dot com. Okay. Diane, give everyone your website. Diane Kevin yeah. Carter. Yeah. com. yeah. And I just created a new one this last April. It's got all my books, articles, awards, 
blog, classes, you know, it's all on there. And then yeah. for Norm, it's Travel Younger. It is. And on Facebook, I have a Facebook page uh, and uh, I, I kind of keep more up to date on my personal Facebook page, which is Norm Bauer, spelled B-O-U-R. And, you know, I love helping people and motivating them to maybe hit the road if that's what their goal and their, their dream is. We should just play it. Hit the road, Jack. That's it. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us again. This is our second panel in this new series uh, that airs every third Friday. Again, we're also um, here on BigBlendRadio.com uh, with Iftwa and on YouTube. So you can watch on YouTube. You can watch on Facebook uh, every second Tuesday, every second Friday, and every third Friday. So thank you all for joining us. Keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, thank you Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you, Diana Norm. We'll have to stay in touch. <laughs>